Genesis 27, beginning in verse number 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison. Boy, that resonates with a bunch of men and a lot of ladies too, honestly, in our church congregation. Uh, Many of you have done that already and will plan to do it some more. Verse 4, and make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. An unfair passage to read on a Sunday morning when lunch is in the offings, isn't it? Uh, Verse 5, and Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son. You say, was she eavesdropping? I don't know, maybe, but they also were in a tent. It's kind of easy to hear things through a tent. But uh, she heard him, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. Now, I have never had goat meat. I've had deer meat. I've never had goat meat. Perhaps some of you could tell me, is this a stretch? Goat to deer? I would think so. This is some creative cooking going on here is what's going on. Apparently, apparently this was Rebecca's recipe to begin with that Esau was going to use. Uh, verse 10, and thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat, that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. My father peradventure will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a, as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, fetch me them. And he went and fetched, and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, pray thee, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that my soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. By the way, Jacob lies six times to his father, five times in one breath. That tells you a lot about Jacob, doesn't it? Um. Verse 30, 21, rather, and Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. 
And he said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore give thee of the dew of heaven, therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. This is one of the saddest chapters in all of Scripture, certainly in Genesis. And there are certain perspectives that we could entertain this morning as we look at this passage. We can spend some time talking about the unfortunate consequences of parents choosing favorites. We could talk about that. It says in Genesis 25, 28, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. They chose favorites. Hey, parents, there is never a good reason to choose favorites. Never. And, and, and some of what we're seeing, some of the, the, the horrible things that happen within this family are because when, your ki- when you choose favorites, don't you think for a second your kids don't know? They knew. We could spend some time talking about the profound folly of trying to manipulate circumstances to accommodate God's will. Got to say something? God doesn't need our help. He doesn't. They employed deceit and subterfuge to bring the blessing to Jacob. Bob Jones Sr. famously used to say, it's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. God's much more blunt about it in Jeremiah 48.10, cursed be he that doth the work of the Lord deceitfully. So we could talk about that. We could talk about not choosing favorites among your children. We could talk about not trying to manipulate circumstances to accommodate God's will. We could talk about the tragedy of a once promising family who have now devolved into spiritual weakness. Isaac, once a type of Christ, submitted himself to his father's will, even the will of death there on Mount Moriah. He was willing to wait for the bride of his father's choosing. He was, he was the great well digger who claimed God's best and left it for others, and now we see him like this. Rebecca, a type of the church, willing to leave family and follow God's will, not knowing what was going to come. What a great example of where we should be as Christians, and now here she is. Jacob and Esau perpetually at odds with one another, with Jacob living out his name's, name's meaning of supplanter. R. Kent Hughes said, there's no heroes in this story, only sinners, only sinners. But for our purposes this morning, I'd like to focus on Isaac himself, a man who's now blind, having lost his eyesight. Isaac is a man trying to navigate the next steps of his life without being able to see. Now, perhaps you have felt like Isaac in this respect. You have decisions to make. You have information to impart. You have steps to take, and you just don't have the vision you feel like you need to do it correctly. You're having to, whether willingly or not, follow Paul's instruction in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. You have to walk by faith and not by sight. Unfortunately for Isaac, everything about his interaction with Jacob that day was wrong. 
But thankfully, God used this for his glory and still accomplished his purpose. Now, we do not want to resign ourselves to God's sovereignty and give no thought to our decisions. Yes, God is sovereign, but that doesn't mean that we have no role to play. No, we want to behave correctly even when we can't see what's right in front of us. We'll look to Isaac's example and see just how to still proceed correctly in a way that honors God, even though our sight, our understanding, our vision may be significantly impaired. Pastor, I just don't, I can't see what to do. I can't see what's ahead of me. I can't see what's going on around me. But I have to make the right choices. I have to live in a way that honors God. How do I do that when I can't see? So that brings us to the title, Doing Right Without Your Sight. Doing right without your sight. When it is not blatantly obvious what you should do, and you don't have the vision you feel like you need, and you're having to walk by faith and not by sight, how do you make sure that you make the right choices? How do you make sure that you're not like Isaac? Father, would you help us this morning as we look to your word? Would you speak to us? Would you accomplish in us what only you can do? And may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. All right, I'm going to give you about five thoughts, and I have mastered none of them. So if you see me put one up and you're like, well, you're still working on that, I sure am. And so are you. It's better to be working on something than to not try at all. Don't you agree? Yeah. So... This is something we all need to be working on. I don't exactly know what to do. My sight is not what I think it needs to be. It's not clear to me what my next steps are, but I still want to do right. How do I make sure and do that? Number one, don't play the comparison game. Don't play the comparison game. You can get off off the path real quick when you start making your decisions based on what's happening in other people's lives. Look at verse number one. Came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. He said, Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death. He goes on to say, Make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. What is motivating this whole scenario? Isaac thinks he's about to die. I don't have much time left. I need to make sure and get this done. I am about to die. Now, why did he think that? Well, there's two possibilities. First of all, his body was beginning to fail. His eyesight had left him. It appears as though he's bedridden. And honestly, when things start going wrong in your body, your mind does turn to things like that. I must not have much longer. This isn't working anymore. And this isn't working anymore. And those things start to add up. And the next thing you think is, I, I'm, I'm about to let loose this mortal coil and slip the surly bonds of earth and go to heaven. It's probably not too far away. But I don't think that's what it was with Isaac. You know what I think it was? I think it was the comparison game. Because you know something very interesting? When you, look at, when you look at the dates of Isaac and Jacob's lives and you go backwards, we can find out exactly how old Isaac was at this moment. You know how old he was? 137. Well, if he's 137, of course he might die. Back then, it didn't quite work that way. 137 wasn't the end. Uh, 137 was the new 60, something like that. But you know what you find out if you look at Genesis 25? His half-brother Ishmael died at 137. 
I understand that kind of thinking. You know why? My grandfather on my father's side died in his mid-50s. My father died in his mid-50s. Where do you think my mind's at? Mid-50s. I heard one guy say even more specific than that. Uh, He's some kind of humorist of some sort. I don't know who he is or whether or not I could even endorse him. But he said this. He said, my father had a heart attack at 56. My grandfather had a heart attack at 56. His father had a heart attack at 56. So when I turn 56, I'm going to get an Airbnb next to the hospital. (laughs) So I get that kind of thinking. But was Isaac correct? No. The truth is... Isaac would live another 43 years. I'm about to die. No, Isaac, you got some time left. Another 43 years and would die at 180. This particular section of the broader family mess started when Isaac viewed his life through the lens of another's instead of walking in close communion with his God. Here's the thing about his forefathers. Here, Abraham, you know how Abraham knew it was time to go? He was walking with God, and God began to reveal that to him. When did Moses know it was time to go? He was walking with God, and God began to reveal that to him. But Isaac, he's just going off of what's happened in somebody else's life because he's not walking closely to God, and he doesn't have the benefit of that insight. And so he's just making conclusions based on what's happening in other people's lives. Nothing good can happen when we stop listening to God's will for us and start comparing and contrasting our lives to that of others. You want to make the right decisions when you can't quite see as well as you think you should? Don't play the comparison game. It has nothing to do with anybody around you. Okay, number two. Don't deviate from what God has already said. Look at verse 3. Speaking to Esau, Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now, for Isaac to impart the firstborn blessing on Esau was not culturally abnormal. Though they were twins, Esau was the first one to emerge and therefore the firstborn. Here's the problem with that. Everything societally and culturally was normal, but the problem was God had already revealed to Isaac and Rebekah who should get that blessing. When did he do it? He did it when they were born. Genesis 25, 23, and the Lord said unto her, meaning Rebekah, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. Isaac was bent on bestowing the blessing on Esau in absolute defiance of the manifest will of God. Why? Because Esau was his favorite. A quick side note, this blessing was never Isaac's to give. All it was was something that belonged to God that he was to impart down through the generations. This was God's blessing, not Isaac's. It's interesting. You look back in in Genesis 27, 28, 
that he gives him, he gives him, therefore God give thee the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. You go back to Genesis 12 when God's talking to Abraham. What does he tell him? I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Isaac's not coming up with anything new. All his job is is to pass it down to the man of God's choosing, not his choosing. And so often we create our own confusion because we make decisions based on our desires instead of what God has already said in his word. You see, God had already made clear to Isaac and Rebekah who's to get the firstborn blessing. It's to be Jacob. But Isaac doesn't want that. And so Isaac decides, I'm going to go contrary to the will of God, and I'm going to do what I want. How about our relationships? I know what God's word says about this relationship, but I don't care. This is what I want. Now, let's, let's hit it where it is, y'all. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do, the creature in rebellion to the creator. I'm going to do what I want to do. Hmm? Or child rearing. I know what the Bible says about the limitations and boundaries I should put in my children's lives, but frankly, it's a lot easier not to. I got news for you. You ask any parent that's gone through that, they'll tell you, no, it would have been easier to obey God. Well, I know what God's word says about this job that I'm looking at. I mean, I shouldn't be involved in something like that, but there sure is a whole lot of money involved. I got news for you. You're going after your desires instead of after the manifest will of God. Our priorities in general. How can we expect God's direction when we can't see if we refuse to obey what he's already said in his word? Man, I want to make it. I want to make right decisions, but I can't really see that well right now. Well, here's what you do. Don't play the comparison game. Don't deviate from what God has already said. And then, number three, refuse to be ruled by fleshly appetites. Verse number three, now therefore take thee, take I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take, take me some venison and make me savory meat such as I love. Is there anything you just love? Last Thursday we had Thanksgiving at our home. If I'm candid with you, turkey's not my favorite meat. I will eat it and I will enjoy it. But turkey, as it's presented on the table, and my wife does an excellent job with it, but it's not my favorite. But when that turkey's had time to cool down, and you slice a piece of that white meat off, and you take a piece of bread and you slather Duke's mayonnaise on it, and you take that white meat and sit it on top of that Duke's mayonnaise, and you load it down with salt and pepper, and you make a sandwich. That's when I become fond of turkey. <laughs> I love turkey. Yes, I do. I love a good steak. I love a good pizza. There's food that I love. But my love for food could not approach the apparent obsession that Isaac had 
with this specific dish. He's reached a point in his life where he is content to allow other people to wait on him. And worse, his love for the spiritual has been surpassed by his love for the physical. He's living out what Paul warned about in Romans 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Friend, here's what it comes down to, and this goes beyond sandwiches and, and pies and all of that. Right now, the decisions that you make in your life are either motivated by your flesh or motivated by the spirit. Which is it? That's not saying that we can't enjoy good food. But the decisions that you make in life, are they motivated by the flesh or are they motivated by the spirit? Isaac seems to be especially driven by his love for good food. You know how I know? Savory meat is mentioned six times. Venison is mentioned seven times. Eating is mentioned eight times. There are 21 references to him eating. You know how many times he mentions the blessing? Three. That tells me that in this moment, the will of God, that that, that his love for food is seven times more important to him than the will of God. What finally pushed Isaac to impart the blessing? I'll tell you what it was. The smell of the food. How do I know that? Genesis 27, 25. And he said, bring it, the venison near to me. Now we eat of my son's venison that my soul may bless thee. Here's the point. And I want you to think beyond food. I want you to think about appetites of the flesh that run our lives and make our decisions for us, whatever they may be. Isaac is undertaking a very spiritual action but is arriving at it through fleshly activity. It's not wrong that he wants to bless his son. It's wrong how he's doing it. Hmm? It's not wrong to be in church. It's wrong if you're in church, you can impress that girl you're trying to date. I don't think that's Paul, by the way, I'm just saying. But let's be honest. There's a whole lot of spiritual decisions that are made by guys for the sake of girls. And vice versa. It's not wrong to make spiritual decisions if you're meaning to please God. It's wrong to make them if you're trying to please others. And everything about this is flesh, flesh, flesh. I want to eat. I like Esau better. Everything about this is flesh. There's nothing spiritual about it. Nothing. I can't see that well, but I want to make the right decisions well. Don't play the comparison game. Don't deviate from what God has already said. Refuse to be ruled by fleshly appetites. Here's another one. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, don't. Now, this is absent clear guidance from God's word. Obviously, if God's word says to do something or not to do something, you follow God's word. Don't let your doubts rule you. Okay? 
But if God's not giving clear instruction and there's doubting going on in your heart and you're, you're struggling with this, wait. Wait. Look at what we see. Look at the narrative. Can we agree from the narrative that Isaac is suspicious? Something's not adding up here. He's blind. He's bedbound, but something's not adding up here. Look at what, verse 18, who art thou, my son? Verse 20, Isaac said unto his son, how is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? By the way, Jacob, what an answer. Well, the Lord gave it to me. Which, by the way, is especially blasphemous because now he's involved the Lord in his deception. Verse 21, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. How else could he say, I don't think you are who you say you are without saying it? Verse 24, he said, art thou my very son Esau? Verse 26, his father Isaac said unto him, come near now and kiss me, my son. You say, well, that doesn't express doubt. It does if the point is I want a whiff of him. There's all kinds of doubt here. Why would a man played with such doubt go through with the blessing? Because sometimes our desire to accomplish our will and what we want overrides the warnings that God plants in our spirit. Now, something about this isn't right, but this is really what I want, so I'm going to go for it. Don't ignore the safety measures God has implanted in you. God's will ultimately overcomes doubt, and until that happens, don't move. Don't move. So those are the first four. I can't see so well right now, but I want to make right decisions. How do I do that? Well, don't play the comparison game. Okay? Don't go against what God, don't deviate from what God has already said. Refuse to be ruled by fleshly appetites. When in doubt, don't. Here's the last one. Listen to truth no matter your feelings. Wow, man, I'll tell you, I wrestle with this one. Listen to truth no matter your feelings. Look at verse 22. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. All but one of Isaac's senses had failed him. His sight had failed him in that he was blind. His touch had failed him in that he had failed to discern the, uh, the goat's hair as opposed to human hair. Now, maybe back then people's hair was much alike to goat's hair because lack of conditioner or something. I don't know. But he failed to discern the difference in his touch. His taste had failed him because he should have known the difference between goat and, and venison. His smell, his smell, his, I've lived here too long, haven't I? <laughs> That's the crazy thing. I didn't mispronounce it. Most of y'all were like, yes, his smell. I'm only gradually picking up the accent. Claire, I remember when Claire was little, she said, uh, she said are we going to the hotel? Sounded like, sounded like a little Becky Edmonds, she did. But uh, help me, Lord, help me get them back. All right. His sight had failed him, his touch had failed him, his taste had failed him, his smell had failed him. He failed to discern the smell was Esau's clothing and not Esau. 
The only sense that didn't fail Isaac was his hearing. He heard Jacob's voice and correctly questioned if it was truly Esau. Maybe Jacob tried to imitate Esau. Are you Esau? Yeah, Dad, I'm Esau. Yeah, maybe. Jacob's words weren't speaking truth, but his voice was. Do you see the difference? His words weren't speaking truth, but his voice was. Is this significant? I believe it is. I'll tell you why. For a believer, there's only two options for our life's walk, according to 2 Corinthians 5. We're either walking by faith or we're walking by sight. Correct? Okay. Walking by faith or by sight. If we choose to walk by faith, not by sight, what sense does God provide to activate that faith? Romans 10 tells us. So then faith cometh by what? And hearing by the word of God. God left intact the one sense that Isaac could rely on for truth. But in verse 22, Isaac dismissed that one source of truth for a conclusion based on what he felt. He didn't say, these feel like Esau's hands. He said, these are Esau's hands. What's my point? Again, forgive me for drawing on my sabbatical time, but it's useful. One of the first phone calls that I made when I stepped away for a month, as I made it to my friend and many of our friends, Jody Jenkins. Jody Jenkins came here and preached for us during the COVID epidemic when we had, when we had uh, church outside. And Jody was for a long time the pastor of a large Baptist church in Gray, Tennessee. I've lost my sitting spot. It's okay, I'll sit on the step. And uh, <clears throat> Jody began to deal with what he would ultimately label himself as depression. And a lot of the same things that I was beginning to enter into. And he now has a ministry for people going through that. And it's a very effective one. And so he was one of my first calls. And I told him, I said, I said, Jody, I can't get around how I feel. Nobody's been unkind to me. Nobody has said anything to me. But in my heart, I feel like I feel like they're done with me, they're tired of me, that nobody's listening, I'm not making any kind of a difference. And I went on and on and on and on. And he took me to this passage. And he said, I had an old deacon that told me to read this passage when I was first going through what I was going through. And he said, God, he said, here's what he told me. Jacob's problem was he didn't trust the voice God gave him. He trusted his feelings. And that resonated with me, and that stuck in my crawl forever. So let me give the credit to Jody Jenkins and whoever that dear deacon was. Because I've been, I've been trying to live that since then. 
God has given something for us to hear that speaks truth. But sometimes if we're not careful, we ignore it in favor of what we feel. Oh, but pastor, I know God's word says I shouldn't be with this guy. But I love him. I've told you about my friend. She found the man of her dreams who just happened to be married. But this is what I feel. Your feelings mean nothing compared to the truth of God's word. And there's a whole bunch of us that we're dealing with. I really feel like I ought to go this direction. Yeah, there's all kinds of scripture to tell me I shouldn't. There's all kinds of godly counsel to tell me I shouldn't, but I really feel like this. That's what Isaac did. The voice isn't right. But I know what I feel. And you think, how in the world can a man feel goat hair? And think that's a human hand. The same way we can feel the crazy things that we feel sometimes and not be able to recognize how completely out in left field it is. When God's given us truth and the voice that we're supposed to be listening to, his Holy Spirit, we ignore it in favor of our feelings. How many people have embraced wickedness in our culture, not because the Bible's changed, but because it just feels right? I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Oh, no. I'm much more concerned with being on the wrong side of God. I can't really, I can't really see what to do next. If you don't get any of these five points except this one, you get this one. You listen to truth, no matter your feelings. You know what America's in desperate need of? People that will decide to live by principle, no matter what. Because right now, our country is governed by feelings. We've got high-ranking officials, people that have the ear of the president, who feel like they're a different gender. What? We've got people in our military who literally can cost hundreds and thousands of lives with a bad decision, who live their life based on feelings. And we've got parents that aren't pouring anything of substance into their kids because they're running off of feelings. Schools, they're not teaching fact. They're not teaching truth. They're teaching feelings. I saw an article the other day making the argument that math is racist. I thought if anything was safe, math was safe. And yes, there's a lot of students maybe even here like, well, I agree, we shouldn't do it. <laughs> how, do you, 
come to that kind of a crazy conclusion? Because you're driven by feelings. Well, (laughs) thankfully, thankfully that kind of thing doesn't find its way into our circles. It does when you start talking about what the Bible means to you instead of what the Bible means. So what? You're just going to be called upon to navigate life without a full field of vision sometimes. That's just how it is. And that's okay because we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. And when this happens, it is imperative that we learn from Isaac's example. Don't compare or contrast your walk with others. Walk the path that God has laid out for you. Obey what you already know God has commanded. Resist the urge to pursue spiritual goals through fleshly means. Don't move until God provides clear direction that overcomes your doubts. And trust the truth of God's voice, no matter what your feelings may be. And this is how we're able to do right without our sight. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.